This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. Well, it's a Canadian minister that tells this story, and I, I just couldn't believe it. I even tried to research it to verify it. It's just so crazy. And I did find some verification for it on the web. Canadian minister tells the story of a, a church in Canada years ago that had a split over something that you would never, never guess, ever. People have disagreements over music, over charismatic gifts, over which translation of the Bible to use. There's numerous things that people argue about. This church in Canada had a split over wearing ties. I'm not wearing one. David is. But they had a split. There was the tie group and the group that didn't wear ties, and they split the church over it. And you say, how crazy. You know who laughs the loudest at that? Satan. He thinks that's great that people fight over a silly issue as ties. And yet that's the truth. So today we're going to study a passage in James as we're just going through the book of James that lends itself to verse-by-verse teaching more than any other passage in James. It really does. It's James 4 about conflicts and quarrels. And it begins with a rhetorical question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It applies to your marriage. If you're married, it applies to work. If you're at work, at school, it doesn't matter where, in a neighborhood, and it applies to a church, because James is writing to Christians about fights and quarrels. And it's interesting, I'm going to define some of the words that are used. There's strong words about fighting. He uses the, the Greek word for war. He uses the Greek word for battle, and he's talking to Christian people. You people war and battle against each other. What causes fights and quarrels among you? The word fight is the word polemic or polemia. It means war. The word that he uses for quarrels is the word battle. Is the word, the Greek word for battle, which I find intriguing. I'm a wordsmith and I love to know what words are used and that's what's used. Battles and war come from the desires within us. Do you know what the word there is? It's the word we get hedonism from. Hedonism is a pretty heavy word as well. It comes from the desires or hedonistic things that battle within you. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. Somebody made the comment in one of the commentaries, why would James say you kill? They're not talking about really killing people in the church. No, they're talking about killing relationships. Some of you have been in a relationship that either you killed or somebody else killed. But you know what that means, don't you? It's when a choice is made, I will have nothing to do with him, I will have nothing to do with her, and a relationship is killed. Happens all the time in families. It happens all the times in groups of people. It happens all the time in churches when people kill relationships. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I will never speak to that man again. And they mean it. 
I will never speak to that woman again. As long as I live, I will never speak to her again. And they mean it. They've killed a relationship, according to verse 2. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. Well, is any of this resonating with what's going on in your life or mine? I think it is. Our website is crossope.org, crossope.org. I want to talk about a request that a person made. This is a tremendous, powerful story to me. It happened in Chicago, not far from where I grew up. Randy Reed was a 34-year-old construction worker. He was welding on top of a nearly completed water tower outside of Chicago. According to a writer, Melissa Ramsdell, he unhooked his safety gear to reach for some pipes when a metal cage slipped and bumped the scaffolding loose, the scaffolding that he was standing on. It flipped, he lost his balance, and Randy Reed fell 110 feet. Just for for logic's sake, that's a long way, 110 feet to fall. If you can believe this, he fell 110 feet, landing face down on a pile of dirt, just missing rocks and construction debris. A fellow worker obviously called 911. When the paramedics arrived, they found Reed conscious, moving, and complaining of his sore back. So would you, so would I, or worse. Now, this is the amazing part of the story. As paramedics carried him on a backboard to the ambulance, Reed had one request of the EMTs, please don't drop me. And one of the EMTs said, guy, you just fell 100 feet, and you're worried about us dropping, and we're not going to drop you. But he was making a point. We ask for things that sometimes are a stretch, but he said, please don't, please don't drop me. Doctors later said Reed came away with just a bruised lung and some broken bones, but he he survived. There are times in your life when you and I make strange requests of the Lord, and they're not always based on good motives. That's what James is saying. You don't have because you do not ask God, but when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I was interested. What does that mean? You make the wrong request. And one commentator said this, there are men and women who pray and ask God to bless their greed and call it prayer. God bless my greed. And I'll call that prayer. And that's a good point. It's maybe an exaggeration, but it's a good point. What have you asked God to give you in life that maybe inside your heart you know was wrong? Have you ever asked God to give you something that you know wasn't the best motivation in your life in terms of what you needed, that we ask for things that we want, but not necessarily what we need? I want to talk about verses 4 and 5 for a minute. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? I wanted to know, what does that mean, friendship toward the world? Friendship toward the world. Here's what it is. 
It's when you and I are more interested in what the world thinks of us than what God thinks of us. That's friendship with the world. It's when you and I are more concerned, what does the media think of me? What does my neighbor think of me rather than what does the Lord God Almighty think of me? Friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do anything. I don't want to say anything that God looks at me or you as an enemy. It's a pretty dramatic, pretty dramatic statement. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do anything. I don't want to say anything that God looks at me or you as an enemy. It's a pretty dramatic Pretty dramatic statement. Anyone, verse 4, who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? Did you know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you? Have you ever thought that through, that the Spirit of God lives in you? And here's why that's important. The reason why you can be around other people and say, I can tell he's a Christian. Well, I can tell she's a believer. There's something about her that makes me think she's a Christian. You know what I think it is? This is just my personal opinion. The Spirit of God that's within you or me recognizes the Spirit of God that's in somebody else. That's what's happening. I was around people this week. I said, that guy's a Christian. I can tell just by interacting with him. There was something in his spirit that spoke to my spirit. Does that mean I'm infallible with those determinations? No, not at all, and I don't claim to be. I'm just saying that the Spirit of God in you and in me can recognize the Spirit of God in other people, and that's how it happens. God's jealous. You know, jealousy in a marriage isn't always bad. You know, we talk about, well, she's jealous of her husband, or he's jealous of his wife, and he doesn't want anybody talking to his wife. There's extreme jealousy, and there's unreasonable jealousy. But jealousy is a good thing. It's a good thing. It can be a good thing. And we serve a God, get this, who's not only jealous of his people, he's not embarrassed to tell you. Isn't that interesting? God is jealous of you and me, in terms of the kingdom of God, and he's not embarrassed to say so. Our God is a jealous God. That's one of the titles for the Lord. Then verse 6 pops up. It's so powerful because he quotes Proverbs 3.34. That's why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Some of you have heard me define this, but I'm going to say it again. God opposes or resists the proud, but gives his grace to the humble. Here's what that means. When God opposes me, it means I'm on the other side of the scrimmage line. That's what it means, to use a sports analogy. I'm on the other side of the net, to use that analogy. I'm on the other side of the scrimmage line. God and I become enemies when we're proud. That's why God won't tolerate pride in your life or in mine. He doesn't put up with it. God does not tolerate pride in you or in me, 
and he gives his grace, he gives his gifts to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That is a verse, in my opinion, that would change a marriage beginning today. Why? Because they're proud husbands and proud wives. They're proud parents and there's proud children. And it can change a family instantly if that verse is not only read, but followed and adhered to. God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace, his gifts to the humble. Well, tomorrow on Cross Hope, we're going to share a powerful story about the conversion of a college student from being a Hindu to being a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a powerful story. Don't miss it. That's crosshope.org. Tali, Matali Perkins is from India, who through her college education in the United States got involved with a Christian group. Here she was raised as a Hindu. And she describes her coming to Christ. It's powerful. Powerful testimony about coming to Christ. She said they were at a hermitage in Russia, in St. Petersburg, Russia. And they saw a painting of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And there were questions that she had about Christ in the hermitage in Russia that even the guide came up to her and said, what's troubling you? I can tell you that you're thinking about something. And he surprised her into telling the truth. That's an expression she uses. Has anyone ever surprised you into telling the truth? Did you get that? You weren't planning on telling the truth, but somebody surprised you into telling the truth in a situation. A loving God, she said, human suffering, how can both exist? And the guide said to Matali, you are at an intersection of choice. Either you decide that Jesus is the Son of God, or you turn your back on him forever. You must choose. What a statement. In Russia, St. Petersburg, Russia, the guide at the Hermitage, a museum in St. Petersburg, which I think is the old city of Leningrad, if my memory is correct, from World War II. You must decide that Jesus is the Son of God or you turn your back on him forever. What have you decided about Jesus? You decide that he is who he claims to be. And to me, becoming a Christian, I tell people this all the time, if I could describe to a person what it means to become a Christian, you decide that Jesus is everything he claimed to be. Not 80%, not 60%, not 99%. He's everything he claimed to be. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He claimed to be the redeemer of all mankind. He claimed to be the one that can forgive my sin because of what he accomplished on the cross. And that's what it means to become a Christian. Now, what really surprised me was the next thing I'm going to tell you. Matali said she was baptized into Christ. And she talks about her baptism. I never thought about a person coming out of a Hindu background describing what happened in the baptistry. But this is what she said. I hadn't anticipated the mystery of baptism. I went into the water spiritually blind, and I came out of the water with a new power to see. That's interesting. Was she talking about something magical? No. She looked at life differently. 
after coming up out of the water and that experience of giving her life to Christ and deciding that he was who he claimed to be. Everything is different when you make a decision in your life who Jesus is, including the way you and I relate to people. Well, let's read 7 through 10. Let's bring up the, the next verse. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Well, folks, that may be one of the most important principles of Scripture, humbling yourself before the Lord. You say, why is that? Because most people never do it. Most people in this world never do it. Our website is crosshope.org. We finish this program tomorrow on crosshope.org. But you know, the Lord's interested in my changing in one important way. It's in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Question. Have you ever humbled yourself before the Lord? It means different things to different people, but it means something to everybody. Listen to that again. It means different things to different people, but it means something to everybody. To humble yourself before the Lord means you acknowledge that you are nothing without Him. He's the source of forgiveness. He's the source of life. He's the source of strength. He's the source of renewal. He's the source of coming back to life again, to resurrection spiritually in people's lives. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. This is an interesting passage of Scripture for this reason. This is talking to the church. He's not talking to pagans. You know, why are there quarrels? And fights among you, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He's not writing to people at a local bar or whatever. He's writing to the body of Christ. I'll close with this story and we'll end. In a magazine, I don't even know if it's still in publication, called Eternity Magazine, a woman by the name of Olga Wetzel tells about a time she was riding on a bus from Flagstaff, Arizona to Albuquerque, New Mexico. They stopped at a small wayside station in the middle of nowhere, and a young Indian boy, young Indian boy, probably Apache, I think, or that's a a common tribe, I think, in, in Arizona, got on and took the seat next to her. It was bitterly cold night, and in the warmth of the bus, the little boy soon fell asleep. About an hour, he woke up and walked to the front of the bus and asked the driver, If they were near his destination, the driver angrily snapped back, No, we passed that place a long time ago. Why didn't you get off then? The little boy said, I I slept. I was asleep. He said, Stop the bus and I'll walk back the other way. The driver said, No, it's too cold. You'll freeze to death. You'll have to go to Albuquerque and then get a ticket to ride the bus back. When the boy came back to his seat, disappointment showed on his little face. He told Olga that his sister was waiting for him back at the stop and that he was afraid about finding the right bus back, that he didn't think he had enough money for the ticket. 
Olga Wetzel said, don't worry. You stay with me. I'll get you on the right bus. I'll pay the ticket. Don't worry about it. They rode on for miles as he sat near this woman who offered to pay his ticket. And Olga Wetzel said the young man looked up at her and asked her a question she'd never been asked before. Lady, are you a Christian? Lady, are you a Christian? And she said, yes, I am. He said, I thought so. I thought so. Does anyone ever look at you and say, are you a Christian? I thought so. I thought so. Hopefully in reading this passage today that we won't be people who are into fighting and quarreling. We're not into strife and to strife making. We're into the peace of Christ that comes when we submit to him. We wash our hands figuratively and literally today in 2020. You purify your hearts. We grieve, mourn, and wail over what? Over our sin. And we change our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. My guess is this passage speaks to every man, every woman, every young person in this room today in a special way. How does it speak to you? You've been listening to Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Cross Hope is listener-supported and is produced by Cross Hope Ministries, Incorporated.